0: You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. How are you guys this morning? Hey, pray pray for us. This is uh, next weekend we head off to Indonesia. We've already had to rearrange travel plans because of that volcano in, in uh, Bali, so we had to reroute ourselves and Uh, Ministry in Bali had been called off, but we're going into Solo uh, and then to uh, Jakarta and then back, no, we're going to Jakarta, Solo, back to Jakarta and uh, training leaders and pastors and putting into their life, and that we put into their lives what, uh, you know, what we're getting here, that's what they're asking and things like that, but then also on the last weekend, Janet and I will be doing a uh, (coughs) a marriage, uh, a marriage enrichment retreat built on uh, love and respect and uh, we celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary in January. Yeah, she married me when I was uh, five years old. I'm a Southern child bride, uh, husband. She's a, she's a bride, isn't she? Yeah. So back to front there. So pray for us because we're taking Pete and Fiona Edwards with us. First time on a trip with us and to do that, which will be a great experience for them. And uh, just pray that Volcano doesn't go off and we get home because our insurance is not going to cover us if it does. Um, and uh, we want to get home. I don't want to get stuck eating rice every morning for the next two months, <laughs> which happens when you're over there. Rice, coconut, all that stuff and everything. So, uh, yeah, pray for us while we're over there. It'll be a powerful trip and an anointed trip. Um, but we're also walking into a scene where one of the young pastors just uh, suddenly died two weeks ago and left a wife and a son. He was, like, mid-40s, and, uh, and I'm sure his wife's going to be at the meetings because they just, they just keep going strong. And stuff like that. the marriage thing is critical. We've just uh, in the last two months, uh, two more Christian marriages gone. Leaders' marriages. Just because you're born again doesn't ensure you're going to have a good marriage. This is true. you've got to work on it. People think just because they're, they're children of God, that finances are going to be good, marriage is going to be good, health's going to be good. We face everything the world faces. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. It's just what do we do when it falls. That's the issue. We have something they don't have. Um, not to say there's an us and them, but you understand what I'm saying. Yes. Just because we get born again and we marry somebody we go to church with doesn't mean um, we're going we're gonna to make it happen. Uh, so, yeah, it's good being with you guys. I've missed you. It's, I think it's been months since I've been here, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah, a few months. So with things, you know, rearranging next year, the way they're going, I should get here a little bit more, yeah. which will be great. Got my eldest grandson with me, so I'm, I'm trusting the Chapman kids are going to not lead him astray back there. I know those boys. Now I see Ethan slinking down now. You boys better go- be good. You know, I held every one of you in my arms and dedicated you. That's right. But at this stage, I won't hold you. I'll slap you about the head and shoulders. As I say in Alabama, I'll slap you like a red-headed stepchild. What's funny about that? Every, every stepchild's redhead. No, 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 no. Sorry, Rena. I love redheads. My mother's a redhead. <laughs> Have to. Anyway. Hey, wow, God's up to something, isn't he? I mean, God is up to something. And, uh, you know, uh, last Sunday morning, I heard it was epic here. It was, it was incredible over it. Pastor Chris Harrison uh, said the moment the worship began, you could sense the tangible presence of God. It was that thick. And then on Tuesday night... She said she walked into the prayer meeting. She has not been in a prayer meeting where she tangibly felt the fire of God. She hasn't felt that in years. So God is ramping up something, guys. It's, it's just, as, as Darren was saying, there's a groundswell of encounter and expectation taking place. And that's in both of our campuses. I thought we were having a revival here this morning. Rocked up and there's no car parks. There's cars everywhere. I was disappointed. They're out there. We should move this out there. Anyway, but there's a groundswell. of of something taking place. And you you saw that thing. I I said at the staff meeting, because Pastor Eric prophesied over every leader on Thursday night. It's funny to see who the evangelist is, because I asked you and you said how many? You said about 80. And I asked another staff member and they said about 40. So he's the evangelist. But he he prophesied over. I didn't leave the place. I had to lock up, so I didn't leave the center until 11 o'clock. He prophesied over everybody that was there. So on Wednesday morning, I said, gee, I bet you had a good sleep. And he said, actually I didn't, the Lord, the Lord woke me up three times giving me this progressive vision about your church and something is about to break, it's, it's under the ground, it's, it's about to erupt and it's about to happen and it reminds me of kind of the atmosphere and the expectation you read in Acts 2. Did you do Acts 2 last week? Yeah, well, good, we're going to go there again. Go to Acts chapter 2 with me if you've got your Bible I've got it on screen anyway, I don't know who's back there tracking with me but they've got it, right? Um, I, let me just, before you put that one up, Acts chapter 2, verse 33. If you got your Bible open, look at Acts 2, 33. Incredible thing. Luke is recording that Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. And what happens? He receives from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. Have you ever dwelt on that for a minute? That the Father actually promised to His Son the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that work? Because Jesus already had the Spirit without measure. And yet he gets to heaven and the father goes, here son, boom, here's the Holy Spirit. Yet he's had him without measure. What's going on? Well, the latter part of the verse tells us he poured out this which you now see and hear. What's he saying? I am giving you son, the Holy Spirit, and it's tipping over like it's this bucket and the Holy Ghost is just getting poured all over this new thing called the church. That's my promise that there'll be people like that. And they'll just be saturated in the Holy Spirit. It's in that context you start reading about the formation of the early church. Verse 41, we're going to go to there. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Lord have mercy. I can imagine the people doing the baptizing must have looked like prunes by the time they got out. Anyway, (laughs) it would have been fun. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostle. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Just before this, they were being made fun of. Now they got favor of the people. Something happened that was incredible. Now, some of you, if you've been around long enough, and I don't know if I've ever preached this one here, but certainly around the victory traps, I probably preach this text almost once every year. I first preached this text as a young college student in 1976. I remember how this text captured my attention, and it still does to this day. I remember thinking, and I've heard people say this, why isn't the church like this today? I hear people say that all the time. They, they go, why isn't the church like this today? And the truth is, we are like this. And that goes quiet, because you're probably going, well, I don't see the evidence. And I... You're going by evidence. You're going by circumstances. You're not going by what has been given. We've been given the same thing they've been given. We have been given the fullness of the Spirit. And and it's not that we're not like this. We just need to see it and live it. Come on. There's nothing new that God wants to give you. If it's new, it isn't true. That's what my mentor taught me as a new Christian. If it's new, it isn't true. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. My experience of it can be new every day, but it's not new. It's been around for eons. Why in the church like this? I remember thinking that when I preached it. Oh, God, make my church like this. He said, I'm trying. (laughs) And yet this, this whole text, the reason I keep going to it is because there's something significant embedded in this text. The fire of revival on the early church carried an atmosphere, a presence, which in turn caused an incredible influence everywhere they went. I I am of the distinct opinion that revival is not primarily about people getting born again. It's primarily about the people of God stepping into the promise of God and living it. But then as a result, people get born again. And society gets changed. You know how I think it starts now? I can't prove this. There's no text in verse. So this is my theory that we get a renewal of our faith. Bang. It's like I get born again again. And all of a sudden, it gets into the broader church. It's not just about me. It's about the church. And that's called revival. But then the church just spills out on the city. And that's called awakening. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it needs And most revivals die because it doesn't keep going in that progression. It's all about us. It's all about me. It's what I can get. No, it's about what you've got and what you do with it. Yeah. Right. So here's the deal. The atmosphere, here's my first point. The atmosphere they, they carried right here was one of passionate commitment. There it is. The scripture says they were continually devoting themselves. I don't know what English version you read. Maybe for Rena, it's not English anyway. Do you read English or German or? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, some of them just say they devoted themselves. But it is written in a tense that says this happens all the time. And this is the difference between them and us. For many of us, we don't expect it to happen most of the time. We expect just to do church as normal. And I think in the kingdom of heaven, there's no such thing as normal church. Just radical church. They were continually devoting themselves. And when it says they, listen, they is not limited to the apostles. Oh yeah, the apostles did this continually. No, and it's not even limited to the 120 who were in the prayer meeting. In the upper room. They refers to all who were believers. And it's at least 3,120 believers at this point. Maybe even more. Because this is written after the day of Pentecost. And God was adding to their number every day. Now we don't know how many. This is probably written a year or so after Pentecost. Not immediately. This stuff is happening. An atmosphere is created. People are getting born again. The church is more than 3,000 strong. And when it says they, all of them... Every one of them. And here's the deal. Passion, commitment, presence, revival. It's carried by the whole church, not just the leaders. Passion should go beyond the second row. Listen to me. Listen to me. Passion should fill the room. Not just be in the second row. Two rows or the first two rows. If we're going to see the fire of revival, it, it, it takes place when all of us engage our heart towards him. You heard all the way back on the 24th of September when we started this whole thing. It's about guarding your heart. I can't do that for you. Darren and Beck can't do that for you. We can't put a wall around your heart and protect it from all the stuff that's out there or keep it alive and on fire. We can't do that. My preaching does not create fire for you. It just stokes the fire you've already got. I can't create that fire. It's given to you already by promise. It's just whether you want the thing to burn bright or not. So I don't know if you've ever been camping out bush. We did it every year in South Australia. You're allowed to make a big pit in the ground back then and and you live around the fire. Like a community, and man, I remember stoking that fire. That thing was just so bright you couldn't see the stars. It's incredible. As the night wore on and it got darker and colder, the fire would just go down to coals, and they'd be red. If we didn't do something about that, as we got tired and it got darker, the the red coals started turning black. Fire's going out. That's exactly what happens in church. We can't create that fire for you. But as Paul told Timothy, the coals are there. You just need to fan it into flame. Right. Wow. Ask the Holy Spirit to breathe on that thing. And if we're going to see this thing happen, we've got to guard our heart. And since, since this thing is happening, the presence of God is stirring among us. Something has been building week by week. But listen, it cannot take place just because we're doing a series. Oh, yeah, that's a series. It's a series of revival. We call it a living a life what's next there is no next revival doesn't happen because you preach a series and people go yeah that series is over now let's talk what else can you get our attention with and it can't be limited to an hour and a half on Sunday morning can't be there there's something that consumes our lives and it follows us everywhere we go because it's in our heart people get around us and they start smelling like fire. You know what Pastor Eric said last week? He said, you know, if you go to a barbecue, good old Aussie barbecue, and you hang out next to the barbecue most of the time you're there, you leave, wherever you go, you don't have to tell people where you've just been. They'll smell it. Right? It's true, isn't it? They smell that greasy meat all over you or burnt offerings all over you. You get in the presence of God and you get fire all over you and you get the smoke that's happening and the presence happening. You don't have to all of a sudden preach. People will go, whoa, there's something about you. What is that about you? Oh, you smell it? Do you, do you remember what he said in verse 33? That which you now see and hear. Are you seeing something different? Do you hear something different? They see it in our lives. This goes far beyond a series of sermons. And if you track the church through the early chapters of the book of Acts, you know what you're going to see? Among many things, you're going to see two things that stand out as Luke tracks this. By the way, you get from chapter 1 up to chapter 5, I think from memory, you're getting close to somewhere between the 5 and 10 year mark. So, you know, five little chapters doesn't tell you everything that's happening in the life of the church. But by the time you go from chapter 1 with 120 people, early chapter 5, you know what he's saying? And the church numbered about 5,000 men. Now you know when the Bible says that it's not counting women and children. The church has gone from one to about uh, from 120 to about 15,000 in a handful of years. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Why? Because two things stand out: the passion and the fire that not only conti- not only happened at Pentecost; it increased after Pentecost. We've got to stop making Pentecost an event. Pentecost is not an event; it's a happening. Listen to me. In the traditional church calendar, traditional churches celebrate Pentecost. The Pentecostal churches celebrate Pentecost. I want to know, are we living Pentecost? Not celebrating it. And the second thing you're going to see as you track through Acts is this. The effect of Pentecost spread beyond their meetings, far beyond any meetings. It happened because of their devotion. They're passionately committed to this thing. You see, to them, and here's the difference between the church then and the church now, their new faith was not an addition to their life. It became their life. Today, people look at it and go, it's almost like we've got to barter with people when we're witnessing to them. If you come to Jesus, it'll be awesome. It's almost like, it's almost like advertisements on television. And wait a minute, there's more. And then they get that, and, but there's still more. And yet, we'll double it up for you. And people are... They're weighing up whether they become a Christian as to what am I going to get out of it and what is it going to take out of me and how much can I put into my life. It's an addition. That's not the way it was meant to be. I love the way the new Bible commentary puts it. It's up on the screen. The new converts didn't merely add to Christianity, to their already busy lives, but devoted themselves to their Christian experience. That passionate devotion, not an addition. Do we have time for this? Can we slot it in? Yeah, I reckon we could show up about once a month. These people passionately continued daily in stuff that spread the fire. And if we're going to influence this city for the kingdom of God, it's got to come out of a place of presence and fire that is happening now and it goes beyond just a series of sermons, guys. It's, it's, it's something that consumes us. It, it requires a people who have a passionate commitment to Christ and it follows us like a smell bin around the barbecue everywhere we go. People can't help but, man, you've been near Jesus, haven't you? There's something different about you. You shouldn't even have to preach. You know, here you are at work and you're not criticizing the boss like everybody else. Whinge and whingeing, and, whinge and Aussies whinge about everything. It's just part of the... Whinge, whinge, whinge. it's like... Hate it. Hate it. Whinge about everything. Whinge about the boss. I wonder how, how... How much you got? You ever hear him whinge about me? Come on, be honest. I saw that hand. Oh, it was your son. Hmm. People come up and go, why don't you whinge about your boss? What are you... You're one of those butt kissers. And they'll slur you. You're just different. Even in the New Testament, the slaves treated their bosses different. Their owners different when they got born again. Or all of a sudden, you're walking through Charlestown Square, $50 notes laying there. Boom. And unbeknownst to you, people are watching you that know you. You pick that $50 up and you're going stick it in your pocket. You go straight to the information desk and said somebody, somebody lost this near Bits and Bits. And I'm sure they'll come looking for it. So instead of just pocketing it, well, you know, and you're trying to justify it. Ah, oh, they won't miss it. Nobody will know they lost it. Who knows whose it is anyway? Well, I know this. It's not yours. And then all of a sudden, people are watching you go, hey, you didn't keep that. Most people do. What would you do if you walked up to a ready teller, put your card in, and the thing malfunctioned. And it just started spitting out hundreds to you what would you do? Ah, listen at your laugh. You just gave yourself away. The smell is on you. The smell of the kingdom of heaven is on you. And people get it, man, when they get around you. But the question each of us have got to ask ourselves is this, and, and this doesn't nullify grace. You need to hear this. Am I more committed to my faith now than when I first believed? Am I more passionate about him than ever before? It's like a marriage, guys. It really is like a marriage. That's why it's called He's the Husband, We're the Bride. The last thing in the scripture is the wedding feast. Why is he talking terms like that? Because the fire, the love, has just got to stay alive. Through the good, the bad, and the ugly. We need to get our commitment on and keep passion firing. They were, here's the difference they were, they were just constantly committed, passionate. The sad thing is by the time you get to the writing of the book of Hebrews, three decades later, do you know what the writer of Hebrews says? Do not give up meeting together if some of you, as some of you are already in the habit of doing. Now, he wasn't talking about you're only showing up once a month. What he's talking about is you lost the passion for being together and letting God stoke the fire. That's what he's saying. It's not God taking the Methodist role attendance to see if you show up. My wife has 12 years worth of badges of never missing a Sunday as a Methodist. Bless her, cotton socks. I had 17 years of never going on a Sunday before I got born again, so I beat her. I just got the wrong kind of badge. Passionate commitment. The second thing that kind of created atmosphere wherever they went is called, I call it an impassioned or a heated unity. Put that up for us. Whereas there it is, a heated unity. You go, that's a strange word to describe unity. Wait for it. There's more. Because it says day after day, they regularly assembled in the temple with united purpose. Wherever they went, the atmosphere was charged. It was alive. It was electric. It was far more than, oh, gee, didn't it feel good at church on Sunday? And you get that warm, fuzzy feeling about Sunday. The difficulty is, regardless uh, whatever English version you read for verse 46, you could just skim over it because most versions say something like this. Every day they continued to meet together in the, court, in the temple court. That's what most English... Yours says that, doesn't it? NIV. If you just read over that quickly, you went, golly, they were busy, they met every day. And, and you go, oh, how's that work? And you're going to miss something in that scripture that is very powerful if you go over it and you rush over it. Because what happens, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, uses a compound word to describe what's going on, and it is powerful. And by the way, Luke uses this word more than any other New Testament writer in describing the church getting together, which is is interesting. Now, here's the deal. Stay with me. This is where I get heated from. The phrase is often used in the scriptures to talk about anger, furious, heated. Luke... 4.28, 4.28, Luke uses that phrase to describe what he's describing about the church. We're not just talking about, yeah, it's Sunday, I better go. We're talking about something that heats up. It, 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 it's, it's almost dangerous. And what he's saying in Luke 4, you know what happens? Jesus comes from the wilderness. He goes home to Nazareth. He, he goes, to the tem- uh, goes to the synagogue and he reads out of Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me too. And he goes, closes the scroll or rolls the scroll up and goes, that's me. And it says that they, the people knew him because he grew up in Nazareth. They were so angry at him. And it literally uses the word furious. They were furious with Jesus and they rose up as a mob. This was mob fury. They rose up as a mob and drove him out of the synagogue and tried to drive him over the cliff to kill him. That's the word Luke is using to describe the church. Heated unity. It can be negative, it can be positive. It's a compound word, homothumadon, which literally the first part of it, let's put it up there, my Greek. It's the only slide with Greek. There we go. The first part, homoios, literally means like. We've got something alike, something that's similar. But that second word, if you could read it, if I wrote it in English, is the word thumos. I kind of wonder if we get the word thermos from it. I don't know. Because it literally means heat, anger, wrath. It, it's described when wine begins to bubble and boil when it's fermenting one commentary one dictionary says it's the inner unity of a group of people engaged in an external action it's heated it's alive man it's you get around it it's risky and this describes to me that unity is more than a gathering listen to me i hate it when people go are you part of the unity movement i just i want to vomit <laughs> unity is not a movement Unity is not a meeting. Unity is not a guest speaker. Unity is a gift of the Holy Ghost. And He pours it out on us. And they weren't just getting together at a religious duty. Something was burning inside of them. It was heated. It was boiling, you know, and it's like, golly, we can't contain this thing. There's a fire inside of us from God. Have you ever thought about the fire analogy? Man, I was thinking about this the other day. It it flipped me out. Fire is an awesome thing, but it's almost like a living thing. Did you, anybody watch the movie? I think it's called Ladder 47 years ago. The, the fireys who were going to put out... You know how when they make these films, tornado or Twister, Ladder 47, when they do natural things, the things growl when they go through? I've never heard a tornado growl yet, and I've been in tornadoes. I've never heard a fire growl. But you know what a fire will do? With the momentum and the wind and the heat and the speed of a fire... It makes a loud noise as it rushes through. The sad, thing, I mean, the sad thing is people think, we'll outrun it. I remember hearing the story a couple of years ago. You remember the bushfires? A guy, uh, a guy sent his wife and kids away and thought, I'm going to rescue my Harley Davidson. I can outrun the fire. I'll tell you, he got on the Harley and he got consumed. The Harley couldn't even go fast enough to outrun the fire. Fire is dangerous. It's a living thing. And I got to thinking about this. We, you know, It says on the day of Pentecost, tongues of fire sat on them. That's weird. He's talking about an inanimate object and a living thing. Fire, inanimate, tongues, living. Why is he describing fire like that? Why didn't he just say coals of fire? I saw coals of fire. I saw burning logs of fire sit on their head. Why did he say that? Why tongues of fire? Because fire is a living thing. Did you know the writer of Hebrews says that God is fire? God is a consuming fire. Fire is not just a thing. Fire comes out of the nature of God. What happens to Isaiah around the throne? Whoa, is me. Man, there's smoke going on and there are coals at the altar and there's a fire burning. Why? Because fire purifies. Fire consumes. Maybe this is the problem with the church today. We haven't been consumed by God. We've got too many other things that shield us we got asbestos on us from stuff of the world. Stops of fire of God kind of getting in. But we are a people who are born of fire. You don't need to go get fire. You need to just loose it. Listen, the church was born of fire on the day of Pentecost. And that is something that's with us day after day because he then says we are baptized in fire. We're not just baptized in the Spirit. You are baptized in fire. You don't need to, once you are baptized in fire in the Holy Ghost, you don't need to ask for it again. It's yours. Yeah. You, you need to keep getting filled with the Spirit. and You need to keep stoking the fire. But you don't need to say, I lost it, I need it, I lost it, I need it, I lost it, I need it. That's foreign language in the New Testament. But what is not foreign is, I need more of it to consume my life because stuff needs to get burnt off. I need to get pure. I need to get strong. I need to get fired up for God. We are baptized in fire. And when the Spirit of God comes on us with that force, imagine that force going through the bush. I think they said a fire through the bush can, can rage so strongly it can go, gosh, I thought I heard it somewhere up to 200 kilometers an hour. And it certainly has a noise with it. Trees are exploding. Literally gum trees explode when the, when the heat gets that intense. You cannot outrun it with your vehicle. Imagine that. There's no car that can outrun a bushfire when it's at its height strong. The fire of Pentecost is more powerful than this. I'm telling you. And this is the fire that we carry. We carry the spirit of fire. Listen, the spirit baptism of fire is not just our initiation into Christianity, which it is. It is also our insignia. We are marked as people of fire. And that should be on us. You should smell it. They should see it. It sets us apart for him. We are not just a religious mob. We are a heated mob. We are set on fire by the Holy Ghost. And this is the thing. We carry that. And the unity that the early church had, it's more than a special meeting. It's, it's not limited to their leaders. Oh yeah, that's for the leaders? They're the ones that get it. We just kind of benefit from it. Not. They all got it. It's more than the 12. It's more than the 120. The fire of unity didn't just spread throughout the church. It was carried by thousands. Thousands. Think of this. I want you to think of this with me. Track this with me for a minute. The the result was incredible influence on all these 3,000 new believers. This is the fire that's going on. Think of it for a minute. There's 120 brand new believers in this thing called Christianity. And they're praying together for how many days was it? From Ascension to Pentecost. It's less than 50 because Easter to Pentecost is 50, 10 days. So they're praying together for 10 days. They're they're just new in this thing called Jesus followers. Brand new. Boom, Pentecost hits, Holy Ghost is poured out, church is born, 3,000. One day, 3,000 in one day. The new church, these 120 had an immediate impact and influence when that fire came on them. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I often hear people say stuff like this, and I just want to slap them. When they say stuff like sorry, in Alabama, we slap each other a lot. I often hear people say this. Now, you're going to get sick when you hear it, but I, you can be forgiven if you've said it. Because I have. I've been forgiven. And here's the phrase. God will give us, and it sounds so pious, you know, but even the voice changes. God will give us new people, new believers, when he knows we can handle them. That's an excuse for not reaching people for Christ. Listen to me. My question is, well, what do you have to do to be qualified to handle them? Surely the early disciples, the 120, they had what it took to handle 3,000 in a day. And they had tremendous influence. So what do they have that we don't have? Anybody got an answer to that? What do they have that we don't have? I mean, they were only filled with the Spirit 10 days before. They didn't have earned degrees in theology or ministry. They didn't have some super structure in place. Oh, golly, we better assimilate these 3,000 well. Or they didn't have clear plans and strategies on what to do with these people. They had the same things that we have today. Stop using excuses for people not getting born again. Oh, one day when we, get, we grow up and we have it all, God will give us more people. No, when we get fired up, they'll get attracted. Here's the deal. They have the same things we have today. The fire of the Holy Spirit, prayer, the word, his presence, and exactly what this unity is about. A heated purpose to reach the lost. Period. So I call it influence uncontained. Wasn't contained inside a building. Wasn't contained in a conference, wasn't contained in a meeting. Verse 43 says this, everyone. Now, when the Bible says everyone in the original, it means everyone. Everyone. Not just the people inside, the people outside. Everyone was filled with awe. People in the city are watching this going and go. I can't believe this. The sad part is most people in the city out there don't even know what we're doing right now. Or that we even exist. We have become a minority and a closed community. Do you realize the first church could not even rent a building and hide in buildings called churches until Constantine became emperor of Rome? Now, I don't remember what year that was. What, it was 300 and something years after Christianity started. So it was illegal for Christians to rent property or to buy property to hold big meetings. So how in the world did this fire spread? Good question. Because Christians were on fire and wherever they went, they carried the aroma of Christ. That just... That's the same thing. When communism landed in China and the, iron, the bamboo curtain went up and they kicked Christians and missionaries out, all the Westerners went, well, that's the end of Christianity in China. Decades later, when the bamboo curtain opened up and we went back in, guess what we found? The church was far larger than it ever was when missionaries were there. House churches, they call it. Even to this day, they say upwards of 15,000 people a day are born again in China. Don't tell me we've got to hide this thing in a building. I'm telling you their influence went well beyond their church gatherings. It was was almost out of control. It It was revolutionary. That's what uncontained means. The scripture makes it clear that it spread throughout the city. Now listen, by the way, Jerusalem was about the same size as the greater Newcastle area, what we are today. 33 AD thereabouts, Jesus leaves the planet, goes back to heaven. 70 A.D., Titus, the Roman general, sacks Jerusalem, levels it to the ground, the temple and everything. From 33 approximately A.D. to 70 A.D., guess what happened? The church had reached over half the population of Jerusalem without a building, without an assimilation program, without any degrees in theology. Why? Because, verse 47, people... Can we put... Yeah, there it is. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were being saved. You know, if I was a church planter, the last place I would have ever planted a church would have been Jerusalem. They just killed the Messiah. And that's the first place God planted a church. It's like saying the devil in your face, isn't it? Up your nose with a rubber hose. It's like, I'm going to show you who's boss here. People just, man, it was, their influence was just incredible. And it took place as people influenced people. The aroma of Christ, the revival fire of God, not limited to a few people with special gifting, but to every person with a fire of God in their hearts. And it spread through the city, through all the disciples. And it was so tangible, it could not be ignored. I think it was uh, Rick Warren who asked the question, if your church closed its doors and ceased to exist forever and a day in this city... Would the people even know? Hmm. Would they even be aware that we don't exist anymore? Which is a good question to ask. When you carry the fire of God and the revival of God, they will know. I, I love what Dr. Bilzekian, Gilbert Bilzekian said. You might not know him. He, I think he's probably going to be with the Lord now. But he said about Acts 2. He said, Acts 2 tells us of a community of believers... This church offered unbelievers a vision of life that was so beautiful, it took their breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so dynamic that they couldn't resist it. Verse 47 tells us that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, the fire of revival influenced the new disciples in a powerful way, which in turn influenced the city. Revival was never meant to be contained in buildings. And I'm excited when I see what God's doing in our church. It's almost like there's an awakening happening. There's a hunger stirring and growing. The the colds are having a a new breath or a new wind kind of blow on it. And the fire is starting to come up again and it's gonna make an impact in this city for the kingdom of God. So stand to your feet. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.